welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today is the ever-changing FAR, in particular FAR Part 12 and some of the flexibility that's built right in. And speaking of changing, we're going to be changing the name of the podcast in the near future to better link the topics to the content in the members-only Skyway community. And the name of the Skyway community will change too. That's a little preview, but it'll make a lot more sense when we roll it all out here in the near future. In the meantime, let's get to the podcast. Here we go. We've talked before about a question that is asked in the government world, but not really anywhere else. And that, that question is, is this commercial? In the private sector, by definition, something is commercial, right? Uh, it may be unique and be patented, proprietary, or, or, or bought differently for a variety of reasons, but it's not like the buyer in a, in a business-to-business environment, or, or I'm not going to walk into uh, Walmart and say, hey, do you have your commercial pricing list for this? What do you mean commercial? <laughs> it just is. But in the government, that's a question we have to ask. We've talked before on the podcast about FAR Part 12, which which allows for commercial procedures. In episode 92, we actually covered FAR Part 12. It was about three years ago, and it turns out FAR Part 12 was updated since then. Imagine that. We covered the basics of FAR Part 12 in, in episode 92, and we've talked about it in many other episodes. Today, we're going to talk about contract types that are available for use in FAR Part 12. Before we explain what I mean by that anymore, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Mark Baker from Lance Bogio Architects and Interior Designers in Denver, Colorado. I want to thank Mark specifically for liking and sharing our podcast on LinkedIn and for this comment that he actually wrote in particular. He said, I never thought it was possible to see into the government's black box acquisition process before. This is a game changer. It's very flattering <laughs> to know that he listens to the podcast, but it's particularly cool that he's able to feel like he's seeing inside the black box. That's just awesome. People like Mark recommending our podcast on LinkedIn and other places is why our ability to share this information, which we're giving away for free, is growing every week. Thanks, Mark. Back to FAR Part 12. Since we're talking FAR Part 12 and commercial procedures, let's first define commercial items. Remember, FAR Part 2 is definitions, so FAR 2.101b is commercial item. 2.101b1 says, a commercial item is any item other than real property that is of a type customarily used by the general public or by non-government entities for purposes other than governmental purposes. It's a mouthful. That's easy so far. And has been sold, leased, or licensed to the general public, or has been offered for sale, lease, or licensed to the general public. What are we talking about here? Pretty much everything that has any purpose in the world to other than government buyers. Unless you're talking about a nuclear weapon or maybe an aircraft carrier, you're, you're pretty much in, in the things that could be commercial items. It gets even more fun when it says any item that evolved from an item described above through advances in technology or performance that is not yet available in the commercial marketplace. So if it could be commercially available, the point is you can drive a truck through this thing if you try hard enough. Right. That's a break that allows the government to buy right away. The, The first part of the definition says it has been sold. 
this is, hey, something new came out. We haven't sold it yet, but it's, it's you know, the new and improved version of something we did sell. That allows the government to be the first ones to buy new commercial technology. 2101B1 talks about sold, lease, or license to the general public. There's eight subparagraphs under this section. 2101B8 opens up the general public to state and local governments. If you have a non-developmental item that has been sold in substantial quantities on a competitive basis to multiple state and local governments, that now counts as commercial because there are things that general consumers wouldn't use, but state and local governments would use that the federal government could also use that are much e- that, that should be much easier to acquire using commercial procedures. And that subparagraph eight is a whole separate podcast. There are a lot of examples we can apply there, but let's keep moving. All right, keep moving. Got it. We are deep into FAR talk, and we're going to have to keep reading some FAR here. FAR Part 12, 207, is contract type under commercial procedures. 12207A says agencies shall use firm fixed price contracts or fixed price contracts with economic price adjustments for the acquisitions of commercial items. This used to be the only contract types available. When FAR Part 12 was first published, it's commercial. You can use a fixed price contract or a fixed price economic price adjustment contract. That's it. That's not the way the commercial world really works. So they've expanded a bit since it first came out. And the last word of 12207A is unless. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) They should put a dot, dot, dot after that. Unless the government adds pieces to FAR Part 12, which is what happened here. Now you can use T&M as part of a commercial contract. FAR Part 12 allows time and materials contracts. Who knew? That's a little bit of trivia there. I think a lot (laughs) of the world is still in the mindset that, oh, oh, I can't use FAR Part 12 because FFP contract doesn't work for me here. 12207B1 says, a time and materials contract or labor hour contract may be used for the acquisition of commercial services when the service is acquired under a contract using competition. There's a couple subparagraphs, but they all say competition. So if you're competing your services contract and you're buying services that can be classified as commercial, you can use a time and materials contract. There are, there are some caveats to this. For example, in B1 I, I think is what it is, the contracting officer has to execute a determination and finding for this particular contract that explains why T&M applies and no other contract type authority is suitable. They also have to have a ceiling. You have to set a ceiling price of, okay, this is T&M, but there's a ceiling to this. And if you go beyond that ceiling, or if you're planning to go that beyond that ceiling, the contracting officer has to get approval to increase the ceiling. And the details on that are in 12.207B, little id. So it's not just a T&M free-for-all. Correct. Yeah, there, there are brackets around it. And, and there are nuances if you're doing this under a, a federal supply schedule or an IDIQ contract, but you can still use them. 12.207D opens up the contract type even farther by saying the contract types authorized by this subpart may be used in conjunction with an award fee and performance or delivery incentives when the award fee or incentive is based solely on factors other than cost. So you don't need to include cost in your incentives, but now you can do award fees or other type of incentives. That's important because many commercial contracts 
include incentives that you couldn't use in the old days, the original FAR Part 12 days with just FFP. And while we've come a long way, we haven't come infinitely far. Because paragraph E says, use of any contract type other than the ones that we talked about here is prohibited. A lot of times the mindset of the FAR is, if it doesn't say you can't do it, then you can. Well, in this case, they're saying, no, here's how the box is bigger, but it's not huge. Here's the limit of it. So if it's not listed in these paragraphs, then you can't do it. In other words, you can't suddenly decide that CPFF commercial, no, we're not doing that. There are good reasons why you can't use cost type contracts for commercial items. You're never going to get the data and it brings in all kinds of other reporting. We'll move on. A quick refresher on time and materials contracts. What is it? FAR 16601B describes time and materials contract. It says, a time and materials contract provides for acquiring supplies or services on the basis of, number one, direct labor hours at specified fixed hourly rates that include wages, overhead, general administrative expenses, and profit. And number two, actual costs for materials. This is the way most of the world operates. You want to hire someone, you say, how much does it cost per hour? They tell you how much it costs per hour, they work the hours, they bill you for those hours. If they need to buy material, they bill you for the materials directly at the cost from the materials. They don't lump it into the hours, they don't charge you more. You would use a time of materials contract when it's not possible to really know how much work this is going to be. You can't accurately estimate the extent or the duration of the work is the, the, far, the language the FAR uses. And once again, contracting officer can't just do this in a, in, a, in, a, in a silo. They must prepare a determination and finding even for to use this contract type because basically what it says is we're not really sure how long it's going to take, but we're just going to go with a flat hourly rate until it gets done or we run out of money. Time and materials contract type adds a little risk, so you have to justify it with a determination and finding to say why you're adding risk. Why why can't it just be fixed price? And don't forget the FAR also calls out that government surveillance is required. Like I said before, it can't just be a TNM free-for-all. Just charge me as many hours as you want. No, the government has to dive in and make sure those hours are actually required to get the work done. Linking this to the time zones, in the acquisition time zones, We're talking about the market research zone. You defined your requirement in the first time zone. Now you're thinking, is this available commercially? If it is, well, then you move to the RFP zone and you release a FAR Part 12 type RFP, a commercial RFP. In the execution time zones are critical, the honeymoon zone, the performance zone particularly. You have to surveil that the contractor is managing the T&M costs properly, that they're billing the hours correctly, that that they're reporting them properly, and they haven't gone over that ceiling. Remember, there has to be a ceiling on this under FAR Part 12207. It takes some effort because the government has to determine whether or not those hours are required in a way that they don't really on other contract types. One thing I forgot to say about the acquisition time zones, when you're in the market research zone, it's a perfect time for the government to ask if they don't know if this item is available commercially. It's a perfect time to ask, could you sell this commercially to us? And if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, they're in episode number three. And the execution time zones are in episode 84. Specifically, government side. Why should the government be interested in FAR Part 12 commercial procedures? T&M contracts under FAR Part 12, it's a great tool. It allows for variability in the the delivery without having to slip into, I'll call it the quagmire of cost-type contracts. 
I had a contract once that because there was one CLIN that that was actually it was for travel, so it was TNM, but TNM couldn't be done under FAR Part 12 way back then. So as a result, I had to do the whole contract as a non-FAR Part 12. I wish I had this available. It would have made that contract a lot easier to do. Now, since there's multiple contract types available, you could have separate CLINs with different contract types and even have some CLINs where FAR Part 12 applies and some where it doesn't. Why would people use commercial procedures at a TNM contract type? Faster. For <laughs> it should, one. I mean, sh- should be faster, yeah. It should be, in, in air quotes, should be. Commercial procedures, are because you have fewer clauses. Uh, you also, here's one, you have a shorter notification window. 12.204B lets the contracting officer use a notification window of less than 15 days when issuing a solicitation. The standard is 15 days, but under FAR Part 12, you can use less. That, that alone makes it faster. I mean, right there's a linear thing you can say makes it faster. You also may get more competition if you open it up to commercial companies that deliver these things. It's not just for government contractors now. It's for the rest of the world, too. There are things that, believe it or not, commercial industry does better <laughs> than how it's done in the government, what? right? Because it's just something that's been happening more, more often or, or longer in the commercial side. So companies who are doing things commercially, for them to be able to enter the federal space through FAR Part 12, is, it's better for the government. You're likely to get better companies who have more experience in doing this, even if they've been doing it commercially. You hope so. You hope that since they've had to survive and thrive in the great wild west of the, of the commercial world, the non-government world, that they're pretty good at what they do. Government folks, remember that firm fixed price contracts b- build in the risk. Contractors bid a risk premium for those unknowns. With a time and materials contract, you might be able to get it done with less hours and, and save some money because the, you're, you're taking on the risk. If it requires more effort, you're going to put more labor hours on the contract up, up to your ceiling anyway in order to get the job done. Remember, though, that time and materials contracts provide zero motivation for contractors to do anything faster or automate anything. Time and materials contracts motivate contractors to deliver time. To deliver hours, that's how they make their money. Being more efficient doesn't really help them. Hence the thinking job, because we have to balance those two risks. On the industry side, why does industry care? I'm going to quote Elliot Branch. He, he spoke at a conference. He's a former deputy assistant secretary of the Navy. And at, at, he spoke at a conference I went to. And he said, there are commercial companies that would rather do business with China than the U.S. government due to the regulations and procurement practices that, that they have to endure to sell us commercial things. That's a frightening thing to wrap your head around. And if FAR Part 12 is a way to get those companies, you know, put aside the politics of it, make it easier for them to sell great things to us. Commercial contracts are supposed to be easier under FAR Part 12. Fewer clauses, less bureaucracy. But there are some companies that like bureaucracy, and those are the companies that have been built to deal with it. Large government contractors, and maybe even small ones, don't really care about FAR Part 12 unless they sell commercial products. I'm sure that big government software and service companies don't want to have to compete with commercial software and service providing companies. They want to lock the government into government-only services. For them, someone's job is tied to the the non-commercial parts of this product or service. Yeah, someone's or or many someone's jobs. Many someone's, entire divisions. Lots of profit maybe locked into government business. 
just because we have an easier method with fewer clauses and less bureaucracy doesn't mean that it's always going to work because there's a part of the system that likes it that way. That, that's a rabbit trail <laughs> that I could give lots of examples of. <laughs> Who likes less bureaucracy? Not me. <laughs> that's a, a show of hands. Who wants more bureaucracy? And of course, some, if they're telling the truth, some hands would go up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, rabbit hole, rabbit hole. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up. FAR 12207B2. It's one of those little nuggets in the FAR. It's a golden nugget because it can drive acquisitions to be more effective, faster, and and open them up to, to commercial providers in, in ways that might not have been possible before. On the government side, use it. it it's, it's relatively new, but use it. Or at least post an RFI asking industry why you shouldn't use it. See who's out there that say, if I awarded this as a commercial contract, would you bid? Um, let them write the documentation as to why it's a commercial item, and then you can copy and paste that information and put it in your DNF. Uh, you know, don't guess. Ask. Use the communication resources that we have. Close that communication gap and figure out the things that we may have bought non-commercially forever is something that's being sold commercially now that because of this T&M factor, we can insert into any contract we have. On the industry side, the, the government team, especially the contracting officer, they may not even realize how commercial, in quotes, your services are. They, they think they're non-commercial because they've been buying as a government person forever. But your product or service may be closer to a commercial definition than we thought. So again, close the communication gap. When they ask, can I award this under a FAR 12.207 T&M under a commercial contract, have your answer ready. <laughs> be already thinking about that. Last thing I'll lay down here, not to talk about today, just a thought. If you are a traditional government <laughs> contractor, you have to prepare in advance to be able to document commerciality. Remember, at the beginning, the FAR says, sold to the general public. If you haven't sold it to the general public, the government may have trouble calling it a commercial item. So you have to have some proof, some documentation there. We'll talk about that in another episode, but just wanted to throw it out there. All right, that's it for today. Talk to you later, Kevin. I'll see you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to all of you who have joined us in the Contracting Officer Podcast Network group on LinkedIn. We'll see you next week. Today we're going to focus on one specific contract. Ah, today we're going to spoke spokus spokus. <laughs> I'm going to focus. Okay, I'm getting delirious. <laughs> focus, focus. Hi. Hey.